What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you today. We might not see it in their facial expressions or body language, but guaranteed it's probably having an impact in some way on that player. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest. He works for a Category 1 football academy. He's trying to bring a real change to the whole idea of player welfare. Ben Marks, Head of Academy Operations and Psychology, a long title by the way, a Reading Football Club. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go! knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's important. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on Single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Pleasure having you on the podcast. I thought it'd be good to get you on here because there's been a lot of conversations in the last sort of couple of months to do with sort of player care, player welfare, and um, I've had loads of conversations on the podcast before with young players, and um, yeah. I just thought it'd be good to really speak about this stuff because people speak about football as a business in terms of the broadcasters, in terms of the rights holders, but what people really forget is when you really look at it, a club in itself is a business and one of the ways in which a club profits from that is through the the use of, of young players and young talents. So yeah. just sort of start me off by telling me the vision for, for Reading and, and how the academy fits into the sort of work that you do. We've worked hard here at Reading to create a pathway into our first team. So I think in terms of the vision, mm. that is the vision, is keeping that pathway open for enough of our players to be able to uh, make a stand within the first team. So I think on average at the moment this season, we've had four academy graduates playing in the first team. Uh, and if you look at that as well, one of the academy graduates, Michael Elise, uh, he's got the most assists in the championship so far so actually there's there's a lot to say about creating that pathway into the first team and I think what we can also do is try and create what a first team would look like at a, at a bit of a younger age or not maybe what it looks like but prepare them for what might be be coming and prepare them with the, the coping strategies uh, basically the skills and experience they're going to need to be able to thrive within those environments. So I think that's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a vision for us and it's our, our, probably our USP in terms of players uh, is that it's visible for players to see uh, a clear pathway into the first team. With that comes a good solid kind of recruitment process and I think we we actually worked it out the other day, I think 75% of players that make it to our first team uh, come into us at foundation phase, so between nines and elevens, which is also a pretty strong statistic in terms of developing talent, creating a pathway, uh, and making sure they kind of reach their potential, which is good. Yeah, and I wanted to even ask there, just, just based on what you said there, how much of of, of pressure is there on you because 
sort of in terms of dealing with these young players coming through and knowing that there is a pathway for them. So mm-hmm. obviously, like you mentioned there, uh, uh, Michael Lee, say, whether you want to yeah. look at um, Tom McIntyre, Tom Holmes as well, all getting into the first team there as well. How, how much of a, of a job and how difficult is it for you to almost manage the expectation of, yes, there is a pathway, but not everyone is actually eventually going to eventually get to that pathway, if you see what I mean? No, exactly. Um, yeah. And... Just on that point, there was another stat I saw the other day. I can't remember. I think this was a, a, a Reading fan account or something. But it was, uh, there's 50% of Reading Academy graduates now playing in the championship. So I think 50, sorry, 50% of championship teams all have a Reading Academy graduate, which is a really good sign. And as you say, uh, it is a lot of pressure on us as staff for the pure reason that yeah. actually we, we're held accountable. So... We have to produce these players for the first team or help them get a career in the game. So there is that. I, I wouldn't say it's pressure so much because uh, yeah. everyone at Reading, we, we love what we do. Uh, we work hard and we enjoy that process, the accountability, because that is what, we're, what we are hired to do, I suppose, in, in a nutshell, yeah, yeah. Uh, is to, to help produce these players in, in whatever way possible. Uh, but I think in terms of coming back to your question, there is a slight pressure because there's accountability on us to make sure that the players we have, we can turn them into to first team kind of players, yeah. I suppose. So, yeah, there's a slight pressure, but it's an enjoyable pressure, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And I think before I was even come on, I was even looking and seeing that some players obviously were in the academy and didn't quite really get that pathway. Someone like Alex McCarthy at Southampton, he's yeah. now like a stable Premier League player, Mikel Antonio as well. So it, it does show that even if they don't make the, the sort of transition, there is still opportunity for them to kick on if they sort of have the right mindset, quote unquote, as we as we hear of him in football. And I uh, just wanted to ask you there in terms of that that really that real buzzword there in terms of mentality, player mentality. I think we hear it all the time. He's not mentally strong enough. What's your yeah. sort of thoughts on that and, and, and how do you really almost deal with that and the sort of main pressures you, like, that you see young players really, really face? It's, it's, it's a real challenge, that one, because as you say, there is a lot he's not mentally tough enough. But I think there's got to be an understanding as to what we're talking about in terms of mindset. So, And I think it's important to understand the impact we all have on a player's mindset. So the communication we have with them on a daily basis, we might not see it in their facial expressions or body language, but guaranteed it's probably having an impact in some way on that player. So I always talk with the coaches here and the staff and just say that every interaction is an important one because actually what you say could have a lasting impact on that player. Uh, So it's important to to have a framework in which to work from to hopefully build that mindset and give them the strategies over years and years. Uh, And I think we do that quite well, kind of phase to phase, whereby we prepare them for what they're going to encounter during that phase, the youth phase to professional phase. I think it's important we just help them build those coping strategies throughout. And I suppose coming back to your original point is that actually players might have a differing mentality. Individuals will all have a differing mentality. But actually, that can be made or broken by the pure interactions that we have on a daily basis. So it's important to actually understand our players from a, 
a personal point of view so that we know how to communicate with them we know how to to deal with them in situations what they like what they don't like and when i mean that i don't see that we cater for their every need in terms of we're only going to communicate with them how they like it's actually understanding what makes them tick but actually pushing them out a little bit of their comfort zone so actually sometimes giving them communication they don't always like uh, yeah. to be able to prepare them for what they might experience when they go to, to our firsting or different firstings as well. Uh, you can look at it probably as resilience, where it's challenge and support. So support is understanding the player and what they like and, uh, and giving them that, that help where they need it. But the challenge is actually, okay, they're fairly comfortable now in their performances. Let's test them a little bit. Let's see what mm. they can do here. Let's see. And then it comes back to the support. If they don't have the strategies, how do we give them those strategies? And how do we give them those skills to be able to thrive in the environment? Yeah. And just on that sort of point of communication as well and, and having that dialogue with them, how was sort of navigating through lockdown, obviously towards the start of the year with the players in terms of being able to have that interaction with them? And, and how did you think a lot of them dealt with that, not being able to play football for that sort of three, three to four month period? I think for some, it was uh, a real kind of uh, struggle for some. Mm. And I think they've probably not let it, some have probably not opened up as much about it as we would have liked because yeah. I, I, even found it, I even found it challenging as an adult. So mm. I think where you've probably taken the one thing away from these, these guys that they yeah, love doing, yeah. which is football, uh, and I love coming to work every day. So it was a challenge for me because it's kind of one part of my identity is, is, is helping yeah. these lads. So I can only dread what they were thinking when they're taking football away. But I think we did really well in terms of a cohort, in terms of helping helping the players on the, the physical side, the mental side, uh, technical, tactical side. So there were a lot of challenges given out on a weekly basis to the lads, physical and technical, tactical, a uh, few conversations, uh, and just trying to keep them engaged in the process and just be ready when we do come back. Uh, so yeah. there was, uh, it started to turn into a little bit of a, a competition, I think, with some of the physical stuff. So there was some, some runs, some sprints, yeah, yeah. Uh, some, some gym sessions as well uh, via Zoom, which I think were, were really successful. So it's just about keeping them prepared and keeping them ready, but keeping that fire lit inside them. So when they do come back, we're, we're ready to go. Uh, it's, it's always going to be a bit up and down I think and I think this whole season is probably going to be a bit up and down still because I don't we haven't seen the end of Covid yet as we're, as you, we're in another lockdown yeah. now so yeah. I think that says it all so it's just about we'll, we'll probably never experience anything like this again in our lifetime uh, mm. so hopefully I, I think it's probably had more of an impact on a lot of people than what's been let on uh, and maybe they deal with it in their own certain ways, but I also think that you have to keep the eye on on what you're trying to achieve, which is they want to be professional footballers, so we'll help them do that. Uh, it gave them an opportunity throughout the lockdown and stuff to, to to try new things, so maybe some things around the house, cooking, cleaning, whatever it might look like. Uh, so yeah. I think there's benefits as long as we just had to keep them on that track to say, actually, okay, you might not be playing football on a daily basis, but you can do this, this, this and this. Uh, try this. What what else? What else floats your boat a little bit, uh, and try and get them on board that way. Yeah, and just sort of in terms of uh, sort of player care sort of strategy, how does it almost differ from player to player? Because I think for my first episode, I sat down with two 
two young lads who were formerly at West Ham and Tottenham, and one of them mentioned how obviously being at Tottenham, the golden boy there was Josh Onoma, who's obviously now, but now it's sort of Fulham. Who who's your sort of golden boy there, and 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 how do you almost ensure that you're almost getting the best out of them and ensuring that any off the field issues you're sort of working closely with them to get the best out of it. We're almost seeing a similar sort of thing with, with Mason Greenwood now in terms of a lot of pressure coming on his back now and um who who's your sort of golden boy and how do you ensure that they um they're um they're really performing to the best of their ability? Uh it's a challenging one, but I think it comes down yeah. to your original statement in terms of being an individual to the lads. I think mm. You, you could probably, every academy could probably look at players and actually think, okay, they might not make it here, but they're definitely going to have a career in the game somewhere uh, yeah. based on their experience and knowledge. Okay, they're not going to make it here, but they could go and get a scholarship in the US and actually study alongside football. Uh, yeah. And we've had players do that in the past. Uh, and I think it does really depend on those, those honest conversations that you have with players in terms of, okay, where do we see you going? Where do you see yourself going? But actually bring it back to the realistic world that we're in at the moment and actually, okay, what are you doing on time? So we've got some uh, some players in the 18s at the moment that are really strong educationally. Uh, so yeah. we might push that a little bit more. Not necessarily they're not going to make it as a footballer. That's not the case at all. But actually having... I never like calling it a plan B because I always think it should work together. I think there's something yeah. that uh, players can learn from the educational side that will help them in football and vice versa as well. Uh, and I think it's important to just try and keep all the skill level up as much as possible in terms of education and football so that actually they have a choice themselves so they can choose, okay, I'm going to go wholeheartedly into football or I'm going to go wholeheartedly into education. Actually, I've enjoyed my time in football, but actually I want to be a doctor or something like that or I want to be something else. Yeah. I've enjoyed my time in football and I really want to make it to the first team I want to want to push on uh, and play 100 games for the club at least which is fantastic yeah. and we can help them drive that those those kind of motivations that they have and those dreams I think do, do, you almost got... falls though we, do you almost feel as though we need like a draft system or something similar to what happens over in the States in terms of going to college alongside obviously doing doing your sports as well and then getting drafted or I do your really, thoughts on that yeah. Yeah, yeah no I do really like the American system in how they have it uh, mm. Would I change it here? Good question. Yeah, I, I, the power's in your hands. The thing is, what would what works for yeah. one country might not work for another. Uh, mm. I do think there's areas that we can improve on because we have our challenges. But actually, I don't know the, the draft system massively well, but I can yeah, imagine they have their challenges as well. Yeah. As well. yeah. Uh, and actually, if you look at say the NFL draft, for example. The that potential downside of that is actually you have to perform in that 40-yard dash. You have to perform on, those, mm. on that day. If you don't perform, you could be the best up till that day, but you might not perform on the day. And if you don't, mm. does that mean your chances are gone? Potentially could be, from how I understand yeah. it. Now, I might be wrong on that. But I think that's something where we've got a good system in terms of kind of performance pathways. Yeah. Not just uh, as, as a club, but probably as a country as well, where England talent can, can, can see from an earlier age. Mm. I also think, and I said, don't like calling it a plan B, but I think there probably could be more done around what we do outside with them. Uh, yeah. 
especially as they get older, so say if they're a scholar, uh, they might have a little bit more time. So what else can we do as an academy to, to help them? Uh, so we do various things, but what else can they be doing outside? So if they go home early, for example, what can they be doing when they get home? What's going to keep their mind active? Uh, as I say, I think it's, uh, it's a balancing act, I would say. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I think there's 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 obviously strengths to it, like a draft system. I look at someone like Jack Harrison, went over to the States, uh, had a sort of scholarship there, drafted for New York City, sort yeah. of feed a club of Man City as well, now playing in the Premier League. And I think it sort of works for him, but there's no sort of one-size-fits-all approach. But exactly, it, all, yeah. all sort of vary, it all sort of varies anyway. Um, I wanted to also ask you as well, in terms of sort of like a loan system, because... Speaking of those two young boys, they mentioned the whole idea of like academy football. And I've got quite a lot of friends who have uh, family members at academies as well, and they always say that you, you can never beat like proper men's football if you can go out on loan, get get the opportunity, and yeah. like under twenty three is a bit of a joke or or, or or whatever they like to call it. Um, but my my sort of issue with the loan system as well is how much of a dialogue do do people like yourselves have with a player when they go on loan? Because it's almost like being seconded from a company to another company? Is there sort of that daily dialogue, knowing what's going on, checking in with them, or do you just palm them off yeah. to Carlisle or, or whoever's uh, dealing with them there? No, and uh, I suppose that's where we've, we've got a, uh, a psychologist who works kind of transition from 23s to first thing. So she will yeah. be kind of in touch as well as the coach will be on a regular basis with the players that go out on loan. And I think that's important. Yeah. I think it's it's got to be seen the loan move as a stepping stone into the first team. We've had, so Tom Holmes was on loan last season, yeah. has come back and he's now in the first team. So mm. I think, again, it might not work for everyone, but it is an opportunity to then get that step up into first team men's football. And loans, there is a, a dilemma around, does academy mm. football prepare you for men's football? I have to say it does in an element, but actually the loan system is just another part of that process whereby actually yeah. it gives you an opportunity to, 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 to figure out what men's football is like and actually, okay, as a player, these are my strengths, these are my development areas. I know what I'm good at. I know what I might need to get better at. What do you notice when you go out on loan? Do you find that your strengths still shine or do you find that actually they were a bit nullified by the men's football depending on what happens? And yeah. I, I always try and get the lads here and, and, and everyone really to just be reflective on the whole process and really think about, okay, what do I need to do? What, have I, what am I doing really well? And actually on game day, how can my strength shine? How can I really get, get the, the boys around me and players and my teammates really buzzing like I am and, and yeah. kind of getting their strengths out as well? The thing with loans football, uh, sorry, loan system and men's football as well is obviously results are much more important because, well, if we're going to be brutal about it, it can, it can be the, the reason why a manager keeps his job or the reason why he doesn't. Yeah. So I think that's also important for players to understand where first-team managers are coming from to a certain extent because, as mm. you say rightly or wrongly, it's a business. So if teams mm. are losing, they're most likely probably going to get rid of the manager because they're not doing that well, yeah. depending on what their plan is. Uh, so I think it's important for players to understand that. And actually, when they're having 
down days or they're having an off day that can have an impact on others and 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 that as well so i think it's important to be aware of that uh and actually see it from either side really so starting to be a bit empathetic with with first team managers and first team players as well yeah we usually um have a segment of the show called what the foot are you lying for uh two truths one lie take me away with your uh, three statements please cool right so as i mentioned these are fairly rogue but i'm hoping they might throw you off so i've got three here so the first one i've scored at the majeski stadium scored okay uh i've seen brian lara practice one-on-one at lords brian lara. and i've been involved with an event uh, which saw Tiny Temper and KTB playing a five-a-side tournament. KTB and Tiny Temper. Um, okay, scored at the Majeski. Um, do you know what it is? Because I, I, I've worked for a few football clubs, so at the end of the season, they always let the staff come on the pitch and, and, and have a little kick about. <laughs> so I'm going to say that's, that's true. Um, the second one, you saw Brian Lara practice one-on-one at Lords. Even to your cricket like that. That's the question. That's the question. Um, it's just so specific, isn't it? Um, the KUB and Tiny Temple one has really thrown me. I won't even lie. Um, I'm going to say... The Brian Lara one is true, and the KEB and Tiny Temper one is wrong. I've got a feeling maybe that it wasn't Tiny Temper, maybe it was like Chipmunk or someone else. Um, <laughs> That's good. Thank so, you. so um, so um, I think I'll go with that. But Ben, just sort of in terms of the the whole sort of player care um sort of like philosophy and mindset, do you feel like we're almost just scratching the surface? Do you feel as though there's there's sort of more that can be done because just just sort of looking at it, you typically hear the idea of the the footballer iceberg in terms of how all the things that people believe are, 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 the, are the glories of being a player, whether that's the fame, the money, but beneath that lies a lot of deep-rooted issues. Do you believe that we're just scratching the surface and there's there's more that can be done and uh, more work for guys like yourself to be doing? Or I do, yeah. I always think there's more yeah. work to be done. I'm always looking at self like, oh, I, I want to be doing this, I want to be doing that. Uh, yeah. Obviously, my, my main focus is... The 18s at the moment uh, in yeah. terms of psychology uh, and it's about finding time to be able to create those opportunities to, to do what I want to do or to have those conversations with players and actually say what do we need what do we need as a group uh, and how to help them and even from a player care perspective what else could they be doing so mental and emotional well-being uh, or lifestyle how can we better give them uh, some lifestyle advice uh, which is something we do here for sure, uh, but mm. I do think we are scratching the surface, as, as you as you say, on, on on a lot of things, and I think we could always be better for sure. Absolutely. No, definitely, and um, I think back in episode one, I asked uh, those boys a question of um, is a football academy just a social experiment? Because when you when you really look at it and, and you really analyse it, like I gave the example of the club that I support, which is Arsenal, and, and you look at it and you have. We've got young strikers like Eddie and Ketty or Falar and Balogun, and then on the other hand, we're buying someone like Gabriel Martinelli from like the second or third division out in Brazil. Like I don't know who on earth within the scouting team is finding him, let alone a Bamyang and Lacazette within 
within the first team. It's a thing whereby if you make the grade brilliant, the club has saved £60 million on buying a new player. If you yeah. don't make the grade, they can sell you on for a profit. What's your sort of views on that, generally sort of speak? What's my views on that? You have a player in your academy system for a reason, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. So I don't think it should be... I get where you're saying social experiment, but if people are using yeah. it as that, I'd be very, very worried. Uh, yeah. So I think you have academy players in your system for a reason. I'm one for not just carrying people across just to make up the numbers. I think that's mm. that's wrong. Uh, yeah. I, I think I'd rather have less players that we've got more potential of making it rather than have players that we're potentially just using to make up the numbers. I think that's that's totally wrong, in my opinion. Mm. I think, as you said, football being a business at the start, uh, I think for CEOs, people that run the businesses, the football club, it is about making money, probably, for them. Mm. Now, there's two sides to this. I think the money within football probably saves a lot of clubs. Uh, yeah. As you say, not not save, saves is probably the wrong word, but it can help clubs add to their talent path, or to add to their talent pool, I suppose, in terms of if mm. they've got the money to go out and buy that big striker just in case Jimmy doesn't make it, for example. Uh, yeah. I'm an absolute huge believer in the... I'll give you an example. CEO in America, Daniel James, I think his name is. I'm not too sure if you heard of him. Uh, no. I think it's Daniel James. He, run the com- he runs a company uh, and basically what he did a few years back is actually put everyone on the same wage as him. So I think he was, he was earning quite a lot of money, but his, his employees yeah. were on low wages. What he did was put them all, put him and everyone else on the same wage, which I think was about $70,000 a year. Uh, and what he noticed was that actually productivity improved. Uh, mm. and actually was making the business more money. So my point behind that is that actually, regardless of whether it's a business or not, you've got people running that business and it's the yeah. people for me that make the difference. Hence why I've loved my time at Reading because the people at Reading are phenomenal. We've got some, mm. some, some, some great people in terms of both personality-wise, uh, both knowledgeable-wise and experience. Uh, and we, we challenge each other on a daily basis in terms of, conversations we have and I think that's really important I think it's important to understand that take the money out of the equation yeah you're still dealing with people at the bottom at the what's the saying uh, at the end of the day yeah so I think it's important to actually understand the people that we're working with how we get the best out of our staff how we get the best out of our players Uh, and I think actually I'm not saying I can't speak for for other clubs because I don't know other clubs at all. But we've got to to understand that it is a people business, I suppose, if you want to call it a business at all. And actually looking after those people would probably have a more uh, beneficial impact than just throwing money at things, if that makes sense. So that's that's kind of my philosophy on that. Yeah, and no, I agree. And I think um, like a team like Red and Bean, the sort of academy you guys are, whether you look at producing Shane Long all the way back in the day to, to where you are now with, with Michael Lisa, like you don't you don't get that sort of longevity by just by not doing things the right way. And yeah. um, and I think yeah, hats off to you guys as well. And um, 
also wanted to Thank ask you, you Lord, what's, what's your sort of thoughts on obviously Brentford, how they do things over 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 there? I think they scrapped their academy and another B team, B team yeah. instead. What's your sort of thoughts on, on how they're doing? I think things? again, it comes down to the individual club and what works best for them. And they felt that, and actually, yeah. probably the B team model has worked for Brentford, if we're being mm. totally honest. And actually, from a people perspective, actually closing the academy was probably the best thing for the players in rather than stringing them on where my, they might not be able to get training sessions on, they strung along in an academy and they might not be going anywhere. Whereas actually by closing the academy, they're giving the lads an opportunity to, to either go elsewhere or stay with the club depending on what age they are. Um, yeah. So I think it works for them. Will it work for every club? Potentially not. I think, again, it's, a, it's an individual basis thing and you weigh up the, the kind of strengths uh, of the approach and what would work for the club and what wouldn't. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, um, just lastly, before I ask you for your uh, answers, <laughs> I'm dreading, dreading finding out the answers. Um, I think, obviously, a big thing that we've seen, what obviously happened with, obviously, Jeremy Winston, which really we really sort of sat to hear and sort of players, yeah. players being, being released... What sort of support do you think is is given currently, and what more do you believe needs to be done to really, really support support players as they sort of navigate? Because obviously football can be, can be a cutthroat business, and you typically hear the idea of like I used to be a fan when I was a bit younger. I used to think like why 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 were the players leaving Arsenal? Like where's the player loyalty? But if you, when you flip it on its head and you look at it at the same time, clubs can also not be loyal towards players. So yeah. It's all almost really a balance, and I just wanted to really understand the the support that's currently given to to young players as they move on to 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 new things. Really, yeah. So I mean, we've currently got a, a player care program in place yeah. here. Uh, from speaking with with other people at other clubs, I think it's similar at most clubs in terms of the support. There's also yeah. some uh, after leaving the club, potentially, depending on for whatever reason, there's there's access from, from uh, organisations such as the PFA that yeah. I can, uh, that I, I believe can help players uh, in terms of where they're going as well. But I think in terms of the longevity of players being at clubs, I think it's important that the club has the due diligence to make sure that that player goes on and uh, achieves elsewhere not necessarily uh, achieves high but has another pathway to to lead into and we're we try and create links with as many people as possible in terms of colleges uh u.s uh, companies that deal with scholarships uh universities uh football clubs other football clubs other sports for instance we might have players for mm. example that actually that that characteristic or, or that attribute would be really beneficial in a in a in a, in a different sport for example yeah sprinting. Um, yeah sprinting for, for yeah. example athletics yeah. we've we've got some really athletic players in our academy so it could be an option um mm. I think it's important that we do our due diligence as a club to help these players as most as possible because if, if it's all they've known, then by not doing our due diligence, we're letting that player down, in my opinion. I think we yeah. need to make sure that we provide them with enough opportunities outside of the club, depending on if they're leaving or whatever, 
to be able to help them thrive in in another industry or, or whatever it looks like uh but just, yeah. just help them thrive full stop in life really um help them that way help them that way it's it's, it's inevitable that not everyone's going to make it as a footballer within the academy system uh, yeah i think there's got to be honest discussions around that early on if that is the case or, or however oh. each club decides to do it but i think regardless we have a duty of care to these players to make sure that we help them whatever whatever way possible uh so yeah yeah no definitely man but it's now time to reveal your answers to uh, what <laughs> the you lying for man i'm so nervous i so thought like i got it wrong lie. but yeah you, what one did you say the lie was the the tiny temper in KUB, yeah. In KUB. Okay, that's actually true. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I knew. So, I was feeling, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it was years ago, actually. Uh, worked with a guy called... Uh, we worked with Nike, actually. A guy called Mike, who's now the under-23 sports scientist at Swansea City, actually. Really great lad. Yeah. And uh, we were working for Nike. We were just helping organise the event and actually help running the event on the day. And Tiny Temper out of five-a-side team. I think KUB did. There was also... Skepta and Miss Dynamite there as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you were right about the Brian Lara one, and I lied about the scoring at the Majeski. And I thought oh, that you, one might you throw you off there. because I have played there. Yeah. So we've done oh, some staff. We've done some staff games, exactly yeah. as you said. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, I've never scored. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I should have thought back more because when I heard the Majeski, I just thought. He's played there because like I've worked for for two clubs and they let you yeah. play there towards the end of the season. Exactly. But I yeah, didn't yeah. register scoring in my <laughs> in my mind. So you so so you've done me there. <laughs> but um, we always like to uh, to end the show with uh, the what the footy question, which is uh, what the footy needs to happen or change within your space. Uh, so I've thought about this question as well, and actually the the answers in the question is I think we as uh, a footballing community. Uh, yeah. elite, grassroots, whatever, need to be open to change. Uh, and it doesn't have to be drastic change, but I think we've got to start being more open to that change. And what I mm. mean by that is actually, are we doing what's best for these lads? Uh, and, and just ask ourselves these honest questions and, and, and actually say, are we doing enough? Do we need to change things? Do we need to do more? So I think actually for me, the answer's in the question in that I think mm. as a footballing community, yeah. we need to be open to change uh, for the yeah. benefit of, of the of these lads. No, and do you know what it is? I love that you mentioned the answers in the question because I think that's the reason why the podcast exists. What the footy is a question. I think there's so much been going on within the game and we're seeing it more now with whether it's the big picture stuff or the pandemic and the self-interest nature of clubs and there's so many questions and we need to be asking more questions and getting more answers really. So yeah. now pleasure for that. Pleasure for that, Ben. And uh, no problem. Yeah, thank you very all, much for, for coming, to, coming to the podcast and uh, really appreciate that, man. Thank you. No, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be on. Wish you all the yeah, success hopefully, with it. Hopefully you can invite me down to Majeski and hopefully this time I'll be the one scoring. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Uh, Cheers, thank you, man. Thanks. What's up, man? Some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a pretty nice. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, 
they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Minute Maid's Slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company. What if your truck could conquer anything? The new 2021 Ram 1500 does it all with powerful towing capacity and top-notch technology. No wonder it won Motor Trend's Truck of the Year three years in a row. Make no payments for 90 days during the Make This the Summer event. Hurry in. This offer ends August 31st. Visit Listine Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram today or shop online at listinedodgejeep.net. On approved credit, first payment extended 90 days from contract. Interest accrues from date of contract. APR rate and terms may vary. Equal payments only. Must take delivery by 831-2021 through Chrysler Capital. See dealer for details.